Welcome to RAS Talk, a podcast on recirculating aquaculture systems and sustainable food production. Brought to you by RASTEC, the premier publication for RAS professionals. This podcast is sponsored by Innovacy. Innovacy, aquatic solutions built for life. Welcome to this episode of RAS Talk. I'm your host, Brian Vinci, Director of the Conservation Fund's Freshwater Institute. We have a great guest for today's episode. But before we get to our guests, you'll notice that I'm hosting this episode without regular co-host, Marilyn de Guzman. Marilyn has recently taken a position with Western Ontario University. So we need to thank her for all of her work co-hosting RAS Talk over the last year and a half and wish her all the best in her new position at Western Ontario. Thank you and good luck, Marilyn, if you're listening. Next episode, I'll be joined by the new editor of RAS Tech Magazine, Katerina Muya. I look forward to Kat joining the podcast next month. So there's been a lot of growth in the land-based salmon industry in 2021, especially with Atlantic Sapphire's Florida facility harvesting in earnest, uh, Nordic Aqua Farms moving their projects permitting forward in Maine and California, Superior Fresh's expansion completed, and a host of European projects having been announced, including the most recent announcement this week of a 40,000-ton salmon wrasse in Iceland. As we have discussed on past episodes, this growth in land-based salmon aquaculture indicates a growing sense of confidence in the technologies that make land-based aquaculture happen. Not just the RAS water treatment technologies, but a host of biological technologies as well. We'll talk about some of those biotechnologies with our guest today, Professor Jonathan Zohar. Professor Jonathan Zohar, or Yanni, is chair of the Department of Marine Biotechnology, director of the Aquaculture Research Center, and former director of the Institute of Marine and Environmental Technology at the University of Maryland. He has over 40 years of substantial record in the field of marine biotechnology with a focus on sustainable aquaculture. He is recognized globally for his pioneering research and development on high value marine fish, which he has translated into commercial applications in the aquaculture industry, specifically in the fields of hatchery technologies and development of new generations of environmentally responsible land-based recirculating aquaculture platforms. He currently serves as the leader of a NOAA-funded interdisciplinary national public-private federal consortium that aims at building capacity for land-based Atlantic salmon aquaculture in the U.S. Professor Zohar has published over 240 peer-reviewed scientific papers and book chapters and is the inventor of 10 issued international patents in aquaculture and biotechnology. He is regularly invited to deliver keynote and plenary lectures at international conferences and has served on many marine biotechnology and aquaculture panels, committees, and boards in the U.S. and globally. He has received several prestigious U.S. and international honors and awards as well. Yanni, welcome. Uh, Thank you. Happy to be here, Brian. Uh, You are clearly an expert in recirculating aquaculture biotechnology and leading significant efforts in RAS research and technology development and the industry is very thankful for all of your work over the years. But I think our listeners would really appreciate hearing you talk about your personal history in aquaculture, going back to when uh, you were spawning salmon in Maine, I've seen the pictures from the 80s, and uh, how you came to your current position. Yeah, Brian, uh, as you said, I've been in aquaculture for over 40 years. Uh, so actually, uh, from the very early days of you know some of the industries, the more intense industries, around the world. I started at the National Center for Mariculture, uh, which is in Iraq, Israel. It's part of the uh, Institute of uh, Oceanography and Limnological Research in, in Israel, and uh, where we developed a lot of the early hatchery, closing life cycle, aquaculture technologies for the warm water uh, marine fish, the high value, the gilded sea bream, and the European sea bass bronzino. Uh, so I worked there for, uh, and, and I went actually, uh, when I started to work, I, my interest from the beginning has been, you know, what, what are the bottlenecks? What do we need to open? Uh, uh, what do we need to do first, you know, to make sure the industry is successful? And when, back then, the first bottleneck was, I refer to it as seed supply. Uh, production of eggs juveniles on a year-round basis, and which was the main bottleneck then. 
And obviously, you cannot develop an efficient, cost-effective aquaculture industry for any fish or a species of interest without being able to close the entire life cycle, eggs and juveniles. So much of my initial work was like broodstock management, reproductive technologies, spawning manipulation, towards and, and hatchery technologies towards uh, closing the life cycle of the fish of interest. So I did a lot of that work and we developed a lot of the early Mediterranean, you know, seabrim, seabass, uh, uh, hatchery technology and aquaculture uh, technology. And then I, uh, I went and spent a year at, at MIT, uh, again, part of this research on closing life cycles and so on. And so when I was at MIT, the field work was in Maine. And this is like, yeah, uh, mid, late 80s. And uh, the industry in Maine just started to expand. And the Atlantic salmon industry at the time started to expand. And again, broodstock management, spawning manipulation, uh, synchronization of spawning was uh, a bottleneck back then there. So I did work, lab work at MIT. So I, I always worked, as I said, you know, the, the interface between the very basic and, and the applied uh, kind of research or, or yeah. And, and, and uh, so I did uh, work at MIT developing uh, hormonal based delivery system to synchronize, induce and synchronize spawning in, in it was the other marine fish, but in this case for uh, Atlantic salmon. So I did a lot of spawning work at the early days uh, of, of the industry. Some of these very early companies, including I worked at the time with, it's not, yeah, it was between Maine and New Brunswick, Canada, with uh, Cook Aquaculture, helped Glenn Cook at the time spawn fish and, and so on. And, and this work from there, you know, uh, she expanded to, um, to, to more salmon kind of spawning manipulation work in, in Chile, in the UK, in Norway, and, 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 and around many other places in the world. For salmon, and, and as well as continued for many other non-salmonid species uh, all over the world. Yeah, I, I remember seeing the picture of uh, you and Glenn Cook uh, spawning salmon in Maine, and, and right. you've, you've presented this in, in some of your lectures, and I think you said that was the late 80s. Um, but how do you get from uh, spawning salmon in Maine and doing closing the life cycle in Israel to uh, the University of Maryland in Baltimore? So yeah, it's a very good question. So I, uh, when I was at, at, at the MIT and in Maine, I was approached by the University of Maryland. I was told, look, I mean, we know what you are doing in, in the lab in Eilat in Israel and that all your aquaculture activities. The University of Maryland is going to invest uh, a lot of money in building, it was called at the time, the Center of Marine Biotechnology, which is now uh, the Institute of Marine and Environmental Technology. So it's part of the University of Maryland. Would you be interested to join us and help us, you know, build this center, direct it, run it, and so on? And I said, well, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm interested. I'll come for a couple of years. So this was in 1990, yeah, it was in 1990, uh, and it was for two years. And this is how I found myself um, here, like, yeah, the rest is history in terms of where I'm situated, yeah. 31 later, 31 years later, that's, that's amazing. And you've had so many uh, students um, come through and scientists, I can recall a few like uh, Yossi Tal, who worked on yes. the low exchange marine uh, recirculating systems for uh, sea bream and, and sea bass. Yeah. Uh, some really, really good work um, that you've been able to steward over the years. So now you, you're a very busy uh, person. And, and I know one of the things you're working on is called the Recirculating Aquaculture Salmon Network um, or RAS-N, we call it RAS-N. Uh, RAS-N is uh, something that the Freshwater Institute is also involved in. It's a coordinated national public-private network of experts that are analyzing the current status of RAS technology and addressing barriers to its development. Uh, members include researchers from uh, the three Sea Grant universities or three Sea Grant universities, University of Maine, University of Wisconsin, uh, University of Maryland, as well as experts from commercial salmon RAS companies like Aquacon, Superior Fresh and Whole Oceans. Uh, Yanni, 
since you were the lead on this uh, project and, and continue to lead it, can you tell us why you decided to pull together the RASN consortium and what you hope the outcomes will be? Well, yeah, I, I, so the, the idea was around, you know, uh, helping, uh, the, I mean, NOAA and National Sea Grant came up with an RFP, you know, for collaborative research that would uh, help aquaculture in the United States. And this was, you know, like three years ago or so. And, and obviously at the time we started to see the boom in the, you know, the growth in the land-based uh, Atlantic salmon production in the United States. So I thought, or we thought, and you know, you and I discussed it as well at the time, maybe it's a good thing to uh, actually um, collect, solicit, you know, a group of experts in, uh, in Atlantic salmon, in land-based production, rust technology, and so on, create a, a hub of integrated knowledge and expertise that will build capacity for the land-based uh, Atlantic salmon aquaculture in the United States. So the idea was there is all this investment, there is all this growth in the industry. We, uh, as you know, working in, 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 in well in the public sector with the government, non-governmental uh, industry, we have I think a collective responsibility to make sure that it will be a success story. So the so the idea is to combine researchers, engineers, uh, educators, extension people, to uh, to look at the industry and and look uh, and and identify uh, uh, gap in knowledges, uh, uh, barriers to success, and and when I'm saying barrier to success, I'm uh, obviously you know much of what we do is biology technology. But not only that, uh, we were looking at economic feasibility, at uh, workforce development, at public outreach, all those kind of things. And uh, based on, on, on kind of analyzing uh, the status of the industry, and I would like to say upfront that RASN is stakeholder based. So it's, uh, as you said, it's a public private uh, kind of uh, partnership with many of the uh, main uh, producers, growers involved, uh, and uh, and and uh, it's all about working and thinking together. It's stakeholder based, so we're not going to come to the stakeholder or to industry and tell them, "Look, your problem is this and that and that, and you should do this, that, or the other." It's the other way around. We listen to industry. We collect information from industry. We want to see where do you industry. And actually, uh, the uh, all the members that you uh, mentioned. Uh, are the initial partners, but since then we have many other partners. You know, you know, Scratting joined, Biomar joined, Aquacon joined, Innova C, uh, Benchmark Genetics joined, and we always had as well the, the the support of Atlantic Sapphire, Nordic Aqua Fund, and so on. So uh, through workshops that obviously you participated and, and you know you continue to participate, we were going to identify those barriers and then based on a collective um understanding or consensus of what those barriers are we're going to and you asked me about the deliverables we're going to do two things number one we're going to develop and it's already done more or less and we are kind of giving it the final touches develop a, a white paper that will review the history of the industry that will look at all those aspects that i just mentioned you know the, the biology the technology the the economy the the extension, uh, public uh, relationship, uh, workforce development, all those kind of things, and, and identify uh, priorities uh, for R&D. And, and this will all lead to the final deliverable that, you know, we still have, you know, a year and a half or so to go, that will be, we call it, a, um, uh, we call it a strategic plan or a roadmap uh, that will end up, uh, putting all these recommendations together, but also, and most importantly, will recommend to the uh, federal government, to state governments, to industry, to foundation, where which areas of R&D should be developed and at what priorities, and where to spend the dollars, where to spend you know, uh, the resources to help overcome these barriers and 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 these hurdles and open those bottlenecks so this industry can 
deliver on its process. Uh, so, so this industry can deliver on its promise and be as successful as and as stable as possible. Yeah, and and that's those are great points, and I think that we do have a collective responsibility to try to ensure the success of the growing land-based salmon industry in the United States. And RASAN hopefully will put together a strong strategic plan that um, federal folks can look at in terms of funding research, as you say, and uh, also taking into account what the stakeholders are faced with, what, the, what their challenges are. Um, I think some of our listeners will wanna know uh, where they can find out more about RASN and also if there are uh, stakeholders out there, partners who would like to potentially join, how do they best go about finding out more about RASN or potentially joining? So yeah, all very good questions. So, I mean, we have a beautiful website, uh, it's ras-n.org and it's a very nice uh, website that has a lot of all our activities and all the partners, it's an interactive website and um, everything can be seen there. I mean, we are meeting uh, yearly at uh, uh, just our consortium workshop that is open to whoever is interested in joining and all the presentations and everything else is on the website. We are very inclusive. As far as I'm concerned, the more the merrier, because I think, again, the idea is to brainstorm, is to uh, develop a hub of, of experts and expertise and, uh, and, and interdisciplinarity in terms of the different, uh, all the components that are part of RASN that I mentioned. So we are very open to adding collaborators, partners, doesn't take a lot. We want you to participate, to be active. We have work groups that are looking at different components of the program. So, you know, be part of those work groups. Uh, also, we we have dedicated sessions to RASN at like World Aquaculture Society type of meetings, uh, Aquaculture America, uh, and so on. You know, hopefully at the, you know, Aquaculture Innovation Workshop. I mean, but I, everything suffered from obviously the virus. Uh, but, but we are very open. So yeah, please feel free to reach to me uh, or to some of the others, you know, uh, kind of uh, members of the leadership of RAS and, and let me know if you're interested in, in joining. We are very happy to take on new partners. Excellent. You know, I, I see RASN and then I also see Control Aqua in Norway and I wonder how similar <laughs> they will be. So for our listeners, Control Aqua in Norway is a uh, Norwegian Research Council funded uh, R&D project that is also supported by the major salmon farming companies and technology providers in Norway. And together they form a public-private partnership that looks at problems and, and actively works on, on research. That center of excellence, as they call it, is going to be uh, seven years old, I think this year, and is an eight-year program that has looked to develop innovations for salmon farming um, and land-based as well. And I'm curious, Yanni, what your thoughts are about RASN. Will it, will it develop into a larger research and development effort similar to Control Aqua? And I, I think you're, you're very familiar with Control Aqua because you're one of the, uh, I would call peer reviewers for the program, correct? Exactly. So actually much of, uh, I was very inspired by Control Aqua. I think that uh, it's a, uh, very, uh, I mean, uh, beneficial program to the industry, uh, much larger than what we are. But yeah, we do uh, intend to grow the program. So this RASN, I mean, it's it's like a grant that was funded by, you know, NOAA National Sea uh, Grant that is different from we as scientists or engineers, you know, are used to. So it's not, uh, it doesn't involve a lot of hands-on. Although we have like research demonstration facilities like Freshwater Institute is one, IMET is one, University of Wisconsin, Stevens Point is one, uh, University of Maine. But it's mainly what I said, it's building capacity. So it's not a lot of hands-on research, but what we want to do is uh, take the deliverable and take the outcome you know, of, of, of RAS-N and develop it and implement it and go much larger and start running the real R&D Along the recommendation of us, and as you know, we already had a, an opportunity to apply for what I uh, refer to as really a, a, an extension, a continuation of uh, of Russ N. We applied to the USDA uh, Afri 
sustainable agricultural system program that uh, for for uh, a real R and D again uh, integrative multidisciplinary uh, project that will be a much larger funding that will help us. In my opinion, it's a very low hanging fruit. Take the all the recommendation, everything that this you know consortium, this partnership, this hub you know uh, recommended to do, take it and implement it. Many of the same partners, again, a very strong emphasis on uh, on, on involvement uh, of the stakeholder, on the public-private partnerships, and so on. But now, really take whatever Russ and recommended, and and convert it to real R and D, to research, to you know, uh, opening these bottlenecks, you know, overcoming those barriers. Again, on on everything: uh, technology, biology. Uh, extension, outreach, education, workforce development, economic feasibility. So fingers crossed, you know, uh, we put in a very strong and long proposal. As you know, we worked on it for months and months and months. We will know by September. And this is really, this really will take us to the level of what Control Aqua is and where we want to be in this country in terms of uh, kind of educated base. I mean, you know, Russ and base. A lot of thought went into it. R and D that will help the industry, uh, that will optimize the industry and help it succeed. Yeah, that that is an exciting proposal, and uh, we all have our fingers crossed for a successful outcome there. And you mentioned researching and overcoming the challenges that the industry is facing, and how Razen went out to the stakeholders and, and worked with them to determine what those were and. Of course, we, we hope the successful proposal uh, to USDA uh, goes forward um, to work on some of those problems, but you've been working on research and development of technologies for recycling aquaculture at IMET for many years already. And I was hoping that um, you could tell our listeners about some of the projects that your group has worked on over the last uh, 31 years, as we learned, and uh, what you're currently working on. What are some of those challenges that you're trying to address and, and how has uh, how have you been able to address them at IMET? So IMET is, uh, as I said, it's a part of the University System of Maryland. And the nice thing about it that the Institute really emphasizes in its mission, uh, research, education and economic development. And this is why I'm here. And, you know, this is why I was interested in joining because it's like, uh, it's the interface, you know, between the or the, the the integration of the very basic research, but with economic development. So we are we are charged to work on industry-related uh, themes and 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 work with industry and engage in uh, collaboration with industry and and spin-off technology and economic development and so on. So with that in mind, and you know, IMET is much broader than just aquaculture, but our aquaculture activities are like the uh, mainstream uh, or you know, very major stream here in, uh, at IMET. So many of us are working on different aspects related to aquaculture with the environment, with the, sorry, with the mantra of environmental responsibility. So with environmental responsibility, sustainability being our mantra. And because of you know uh, my background and so on, so we obviously continue to do a lot of work on broodstock management, year-round seed production, which I think is very important for this country, for the U.S., for the Atlantic salmon industry, to be independent and to develop our own broodstock and our own you know year-round. Uh, they are available from overseas, which is great and great quality. But I think we need to also think about uh, uh, having them domestically. Uh, the flip side of the coin is reproductive sterility, and we can talk about it uh, a little later. is extremely important for aquaculture in general, but you know for uh, uh, land-based RAS technologies as well, uh, because of uh, uh, well, it uh, it will avoid the, the the problem that is still there of early maturation altogether. And about uh, maybe 20 years ago, uh, we started. I started to uh, spearhead an R&D, and you mentioned Yosita, but there are many others. A group on on Rust platforms. We started with a um, marine warm water type of fish uh, uh, that we started with. So full seawater, warm water, 
uh, again, sea bream, sea bass, bronzino type of fish, cobia, uh, ye uh, yellowtail, and, and some others. But more recently, because of what's happening and because of the rust end, we really moved to, focus to more like cold water and, and, and salmon. And uh, so we, we focus again, the, 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 the concept of going from the very basic, you know, uh, research to the industry. So we, we work a lot. And in my opinion, the, the RAS technology integrates biologists like I am, you know, fish biologists and so on. But microbiology, it's all about microbiology and engineers. So we started to focus a lot on the microbiology of the system, really trying to develop a near zero discharge uh, kind of systems because uh, for different reasons, you know, uh, especially when you work in marine systems, you know, make, uh, uh, and we do make artificial seawater, that's the concept, make them and then uh, discharge them is going to be very costly. Uh, therefore, we worked on, you know, a lot on the uh, on denitrification and developing this kind of capabilities. Uh, and and we again we start with tools of modern biology, biotechnology, genomics, post genomics. We do the microbiome, you know, of of the of the system of RAS of the, of uh, the denitrification uh, filters. And and accordingly, we we characterize and then we improve and then we test and then we propose to. Uh, scale up, you know, hydrogen sulfide. When I started to work 20 years ago with saltwater uh, marine rust, people told me you will not be able to be successful ever because of hydrogen sulfide, you know, which is very rich. I mean, you know, the seawater sulfate that are converted to this very toxic uh, H2S. But I mean, Mother Nature knows to deal uh, with those situations. So in our denitrific denitrifying filter, uh, we, we found uh, a microorganism that very happily consumed the H2S and gets rid of it. And H2S is a big problem, as we know, with, with some of the marine rust system. Uh, so th those are like, again, you know, between the basic and the applied. And then we, uh, I think, we think that one of the major bottlenecks or challenges of uh, rust technology is uh, the organic and the solid waste. There is a huge amount of sludge produced, organic solid waste. What do you do with it? So we again went back to Mother Nature and we said, well, there is a way uh, to use marine microbes. Their name is uh, methanogens that uh, through, the process of, through the process of anaerobic digestion, convert the solid waste very efficiently into fuel grade methane, to biogas. And so not only you get rid of the uh, waste, but you also uh, generate uh, biofuel that you use to offset some of the energy costs on the farm. So we have been doing this uh, very, very uh, uh, intensively and it's a, a technology that has already been spinned out and scaled up. We work here, Allen Place, you know, works here on, on alternative and rust specific feeds, you know, and he's been collaborating with Spreading uh, on that. Now we started to work on off-flavor mitigation with you guys, with John Davidson and, you know, Chris Good. And so we are looking into uh, testing some mitigation, off-flavor mitigation technology that the industry badly needs. So this is like, you know, a little bit of a nutshell of what we do here that is, and how it's relevant to us and beyond. Yeah, I think um, it is a, a large uh, set of accomplishments and technologies that you've worked on it. Uh, at IMET, um, you've mentioned denitrification, uh, broodstock or domestic broodstock development, anaerobic digestion, alternative feeds, and now off flavor. Um, I, mean, I am a little curious if you would be willing to share um, how you guys worked on, just as a case study, how you worked on anaerobic digestion. You talked about the, the need for it with the solid waste, uh, you know, building up in these uh, systems and uh, using methanogens to convert that. But I know there's a little bit more to the story and how you scaled that out. And I think uh, some of our listeners, especially some of our, our farmers would be interested to hear about how they might work with you on something like that or, or how it worked with uh, the salmon farmer that you did work with. Yeah, yeah, right. So, I mean, it's all, it's all driven by the fact and correct me if I'm wrong, that, you know, a very simple calculation uh, uh, every 1,000 tons of salmon produced will generate about 20 tons daily of organic solid waste sludge at about like 4%, something like that. And, and, uh, and actually, we sometimes collect it at less than 4% dry matter. 
So you need to do something about it. And, and uh, we were approached actually by uh, uh, Serma. And, and because in Norway, what happened in Norway uh, is that they changed, you know, uh, they changed their laws and policies and regulations and so on. And you really, when you build uh, a new land-based operation, you have to make sure as of day one that at least 20% of your solid waste is being dealt in a way that is environmentally responsible. And Cermak built a, a new hatchery up, you know, in the north of, of, of Norway, uh, in a city, a small city called Forshan. And they had to come very quickly with a solution dealing or treating their large amounts of waste. It was a small production for 12 million smalls a year, land base, which is about, say, an average 1,200 tons uh, of fish produced. And, and we have that expertise. So somebody by the name of Kevin Sowers, who is a, an expert on methanogens. So uh, earlier on, you know, I said, Kevin, you know, your expertise, we need to use it for the RAS technology. And he was very happy about it. So they, they, we, we already developed it here for our warm water fish. And so this was for salmon, in this case, small production and so on. But we had a lot of background already developing it very efficiently. And we published it and so on. Uh, for the warm water marine fish. So what happened is that we said to Cermak, you know, we're going to develop a microbial consortium, those methanogens, and it's, there, there is more than one microorganism. It's not simple, but it's stable once you have it up and running. It's this, this diff five different microorganisms that we're going to tailor to your fish, to the feed that you use, to your condition, to the temperature, to the salinity, and so on. So we asked them to send us, you know, their solid organic waste, in other words, fish poop. So they sent us this fish poop from Norway to Baltimore, and we tailored a consortium of methanogens adjusted to their solid organic waste. And then we scale it up. We have beautiful uh, facilities here, and we have a fermenter that you take, uh, uh, we start on the bench, and then you take those microbes, you, add, you, you use uh, microbiome, you, you know, uh, technologies, you use metagenomics to analyze the micro that are there and then you enrich the five ones that are the most efficient in the process and then you scale them up. We have a 250 liter fermenter here and then you harvest the microbe. It's like a microbial taste into those uh, small like canisters, you know, of, of about 20 liters. And you ship it to Norway. And in the meantime, in Norway, they bought, they built, uh, we work with an engineering company in Norway uh, by the name of Sterner Engineering. And working with us, they already built an anaerobic digester that is 100 cubic meter, all stainless steel on site. And we went there and there was, you know, uh, I day, which was inoculation day. We took those canisters, the 20 liter, and, the, you know, we, just inoculated the, the biofilter, uh, the, sorry, the anaerobic digester, and it started to operate not very efficiently. And then we went a second time and we, uh, again, you know, with another batch of the microbe, and then it took off like crazy. And it has been like two years now that it has been working very efficiently. Uh, and it, I can give you numbers and so on, but I mean, the, the bottom line that they use so it's, it's biofuel, right? It's, it's fuel-grade methane. You can take it as is from the fish tank, from the anaerobic digester, and uh, they use uh, methane-driven or biogas-driven boilers, water heaters, and they use it to heat their water. It's very up nose. They need to heat their water. And, and, uh, and, and it offsets about 8 to 10% of the energy need of the operation. So not only, again, you... Uh, you get rid of the solid waste, which they were very happy about, but also you generate uh, a bonus of, you know, a biofuel that is going to offset up to about 10% of your energy need in, uh, on the site in the operation. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's outstanding. And that's the kind of sustainability uh, that we need to be looking for the circular economies and the technologies that make that happen, like the ones that, that you and Kevin uh, developed are, are outstanding. If if somebody was interested in, in working with you on that, has that technology been spun off into like a, a separate company or do they just contact 
uh, IMAT or how does that work? So yeah, another good question. But I, I, yeah, the, the university because IMAT, what I told you about the fact that you know we are like uh, industry driven. So actually, everything that we uh, do, we uh, file as patents, and we have several of them on different components. You know, the denitrification or the sulfide removals on, and as well as uh, on the anaerobic digestion. And we spun off a company. So Kevin and I spun off a company by the name of Silfra Biosystems that is scaling up these technologies. And we work, uh, obviously, we do work with, uh, with Sterner in Norway, continue the work with Cermak. Uh, we got a lot of interest from different European, you know, uh, growers, production uh, uh, operations that are interested. Here locally, Innovacy slash Aquabounty are very interested. Aquacon in Maryland is going to implement it. Uh, so Silver Biosystems, but I mean, the best way is to contact Kevin or I, and, and we go from there. And, and I'm very responsive. If anybody is interested through the consortium, through the RASN, or just you know email me directly, uh, uh, very easy to yeah. Yeah. connect. That's excellent. And you know that's uh, error digestion, I do think, is... As I mentioned, one of those uh, circular economy type technologies that the land-based aquaculture industry really needs to start to implement to uh, build out that promise of truly sustainable seafood locally um, at any time of the year. Uh, you're a unique guest, Yanni, in that you have a lot of experience um, in this industry. So I wanna spend a little bit of time talking with you about uh, the recent RAS industry growth. Um, I think you you have a perspective that our listeners will really appreciate. Um, so what do you think of the recent almost explosion in, in land-based RAS? And do you see any one species or any one company as being particularly poised for success in the in the area? So yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, all of us, I mean, it was the, the RAS. I, well, first of all, I would say, I think that uh, the reason for this big boom and explosion of interest and so on. Because I think all of a sudden the technology has matured. You know, some, you know, you, you know, I'm not a young guy anymore. <laughs> I say oftentimes it would have been better for me if it would have happened 20 years ago, but it's not too late <laughs> yet. Uh, but I think all of a sudden uh, the, the, the technology did mature. And, and, and I think that, uh, the sky is going to be the limit, and and um, and in terms of different species, all of a sudden salmon became became you know the king, uh, especially here in North America and the United States. But not only in terms of you know RAS technologies. I think the reason is we all know it. Uh, we 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 consume about uh, I mean ninety five percent of this Atlantic salmon we consume in this country, uh, about five hundred thousand tons. Uh, you know, are being imported for uh, a value of about $3.4 billion, which is about 20% of, of the annual seafood uh, trade deficit or trade deficit in seafood. And, and if we want, so, I mean, it makes, and, and I think that the pandemic helped to the understanding that we need to produce our food domestically. And, and if we want to do it in the United States, it's very difficult to do through the flowing net fence platform. So it will have to go land-based. And this is why I think uh, Atlantic salmon rush will continue as it is already now to expand and to grow because I mean, the market is huge. And I think something that is very important uh, to the success of the industry is uh, economy of scale. And, and this is what we need in, in, in Atlantic salmon. But I mean, I think it's ready for other fish species, cold water, uh, warm water. This is a nice thing about rust, right? You can diversify. I mean, you know, aquaculture gives us the opportunity to diversify. I'm always saying, you know, poultry, uh, how many types of chicken, you know, there are, but some poultry uh, expert tells me, no, there is this type of chicken, this type of chicken. But, you know, in, in aquaculture, we really have the opportunity to diversify. And we know that warm water species like the Bronzino, the, the Seabass farm, you know, ideal fish in, uh, is up and running and successful. Although, again, uh, the, the success is, you know, uh, being able to scale up. So I think I, I do not want to, you know, like name one company or the other. I like very much Superior's fresh approach uh, that, you know, they combine, you know, in the meantime, until they get to a very big volume of fish, you know, they combine the fish 
with the leafy greens and which is very 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 nice approach and uh, as well as you know I think helped with the um, with the economy and the the, the, feasible, the economic feasibility and so on. I we work very closely because we are in Maryland State University of Maryland with Aquacon and Aquacon is going to invest up to one billion dollars uh, in three stages, fifteen thousand tons uh, each phase and then we work very closely with them and they use really kind of state-of-the-art rust technologies and we help them a lot on different uh, concepts as well as you know R&D aspects and so on. So I think in this country uh, Atlantic salmon will be the main species to proliferate I think uh, using grass land-based technologies but in Europe as well. I mean we see it uh, you know in Scandinavia, we see it in other uh, countries in Europe, I think it goes to China, it goes to uh, Japan, and, and, and you know uh, many other countries. It's available for just. I think finally we're at a step where it's available for many fish species, but I think the one that is just catching up and will develop the most is, is Atlantic salmon. Uh, although you know I'm you know my kind of initial fish. You know I work with salmon for many years, like again, like 40 years, but I did work a lot with the warm water uh, marine fish that uh, where there is a lot of net pen production, for instance, in the Mediterranean, but which is totally not environmentally uh, responsible. And I think uh, rust will develop there as well, uh, just behind, you know, Atlantic salmon. That's really interesting. Of course, salmon uh, was a bit of a global powerhouse in, in seafood before land-based um, took hold. And I think some of the salmon success or growth in land-based is because, you know, salmon aquaculture had been successful for many years in the net pens in the, in the coastal areas and the land-based industry can play off of that. You know, there's infrastructure, there's uh, seed stock, there's uh, diets and feed companies already producing appropriate um, feeds with, you know, low amounts of fish oil and, and fish meal. So right. we ben we benefit from the global salmon industry's development over the years. I know you've worked a lot with uh, European sea bass and, and sea bream. Um, I do want to ask you a little bit about a species I don't know uh, all too much about, and I think our listeners would appreciate hearing uh, if you've worked with yellowtail at all or any species uh, along those lines. The yeah, so actually we worked with the yeah greater amberjack mainly, uh, which uh, and and that was more like uh, in terms of closing the life cycle more than anything else because uh, the greater amberjack is the more valuable species that we have here in the United States. So you know I, I worked uh, collaborated with the Moat Marine Lab. We had broodstock, you know, uh, here in in our facility downstairs from where I sit now, and 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 we uh, we we worked on developing uh, spawning and hatchery type of strategy for them, and and so the broodstock and everything that we did was you know uh, rust because all our operation here is is rust, so the twenty thousand square foot that we have here is all rust, different size tanks and so on, but we didn't do much in terms of you know optimizing rust technology for the production for the grow out. Uh, so that, that that's the yellowtail. I think it's uh, from what I know from other places, uh, and there is this company in Denmark that uses the early version of the Rust 2020 right to uh, to grow yellowtail, and I understand that it, it works very well as well as the company uh, Zealand in Holland. That uh, so I think it's a it's a great candidate, uh, kind of a warm water candidate for for us. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Uh, that's Sashimi Royale yeah. was, the, was that first one. And then uh, the Kingfish Company um, has been growing and, and hopefully scaling uh, to the U.S., building, oh, a yeah. building a facility in Maine. I think it's a very interesting uh, species uh, that appears to have uh, excellent market acceptance and does well in the RAS. I am, before we let you go, want to get your thoughts on what do you think is, is next for RAS? And you know, where do you see it growing? And then specifically, what technologies do you think we need to continue to develop? So, yeah, and, and I think you also asked me another question, uh, um, which was, uh, I, I, why 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 is it all happening now? And I, and I said, I think it's all maturing now. And I think it's the maturing is a combination of engineering and, you know, much better than me, you know, in terms of that the engineering 
finally made it to a point where we can scale up significantly, but also the biology. You know, I think we uh, we were able to, as I said, close life cycle, manage life cycle in 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 RAS and so on. Uh, we were able to deal with uh, start dealing with the early maturation, high efficiency feeds, and so on. But many of now coming to your question, I think many. Uh, uh, that we still have challenges, right? And several of them. And the one that comes up, and also from the RAS N, uh, we're doing a lot. Uh, we're surveying, you know, stakeholders and asking them, you know, if you had, you know, to list uh, your main challenges, what will be the biggest one? What will be the most important one? And the one that comes uh, up again and again and again is the off flavor. And and so I think we'll need to uh, study much more. And I know. Uh, the conservation uh, fund, the Freshwater Institute, you guys, I mean, John Davidson are leading in that research, and we will need to totally understand, and hopefully if we get the USDA funded, we're going to collaborate more on that, but right. the idea is to uh, understand what are the sources of uh, the geosmins and, and the MIB, which bacteria and what, you know, uh, what are the environmental conditions that uh, kind of are will help them thrive or, 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 or will actually help uh, eliminate them and so on. So we are uh, using the microbiome approach. Again, you know, our place here uh, and working with John Davidson are going to be using the microbiome approach to look at the, all the microbes that are involved in, in with the off flavor and, and you know, how they respond to the, uh, to the environment in the rust, but then mitigation. So there are like very exciting, you know, mitigation technologies that are up and coming, you know, the AOP, the advanced oxidation process, different processes that are being used uh, with this platform. It can be UV based, it can be electrochemically based, and then there is the biological uh, mitigation, again, using microorganisms to absorb and remove and degrade and cleave and get rid of the MIBs and geosmin, because, I mean, the, the I think why this, I mean, we obviously cannot afford having off flavor in our, you know, uh, on the market from RAS, uh, it, it will be a killer. And so the, the solution right now is uh, purging, depurating, but for companies that are becoming much more recycled, uh, such as what uh, Aquacon is going to do here in, in Maryland and some of the others where 99.9% .9 of the water is going to recycle, the purging water now is, is a big headache because our challenge, they have to release now huge amounts. They cannot use it as new water in the system because they recycle it all. So we need to find technologies to mitigate and overcome all flavors. I think that uh, I, I mentioned uh, other technologies. I think that, uh, well, I mentioned Aquacon and there, uh, but I think that uh, we still need to work for some on other species on increasing co containment or increasing water reuse so we discharge much much less water or any waste organic waste and so on and that that goes back to the microbiology so it's a combination between the microbiology and and what you know the, the waste products produced by the fish and more efficient biofiltration uh, hydrogen Oxide is still uh, out there, the sulfide that, uh, and denitrification that can take care of it, something that needs to be optimized. We make sure that uh, those type of accidents, you know, or do not happen in, in, in especially, in, but that's in, in saline, in marine systems and so on. I think that we need to scale up and uh, use much more the, the technology, the anaerobic digestion for the organic solid waste. Uh, uh, removal or treatment, and and I mean you can tell me more. More, I mean, what are the challenges in terms of the uh, of the engineering? But I'll just end by also saying that uh, there are also non-technological barriers that I mentioned earlier as well. I see I see workforce development is is a huge challenge. You know, with all these companies are like you know growing and 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 starting to operate and and they'll need good trained workforce. So education, training, and, and the RASN is looking into this, trying to develop mechanism. I think community engagement is a big challenge. You know, you're going, to, you're putting a 30, uh, a 30 acre building, you know, on the Eastern shore of Maryland, 
there'll, there'll be you know uh, some concerns for the you know local community we need to engage in a dialogue to make sure they understand so an outreach so we are very you know we have pet rhetoric with our you know extension and outreach uh, responsibilities for the ras end i think public perception i mean uh, is something that we need to uh, discuss uh, and it's associated with the uh, local communities and so on Technology transfer is a big one, you know, so because much of the technology is developing institute like, you know, yours or ours and uh, or others. And, and we want to make sure that there is a flawless and a quick transfer of the technology to the industry, economic feasibility. And, and so all those things, I think, so between the techno biology, technology, engineering and the non-technology barriers, uh, there is uh, a lot that we still have to do. And, and hopefully we'll be, uh, you know, the Ras end will continue for another year and a half. And hopefully we can move to the next stage and, and make sure that we continue to support and help the industry. Yeah, I agree with all of that, Yanni. Of course, you and I have talked about this um, at length uh, just on our own. Uh, you do bring up some really great points about the non-technology aspects that do need to be developed further. And, that is evident to me on almost a daily basis. Just yesterday, someone from Iceland called me and said, hey, I need a really good uh, RAS operator. Uh, do you have any leads on, on someone there? And I get that call uh, typically once a week now, whether yeah. it's a, a project in the US or a project uh, globally. Uh, technology uh, is important. Of course, it's matured, as you have said uh, in the podcast but uh, workforce development and the community engagement, those are all uh, very important for the full development of the industry. And as you said, as, as you began, you know, uh, delivering on the promise of, of land-based. Uh, well, that will do it for this episode. Yanni, I wanna thank you so much for being our guest today. I think our listeners really appreciate hearing from experts like yourself. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I enjoyed the discussion. Don't forget that you can catch up to past episodes of the RAS Talk podcast by visiting RASTechmagazine.com or freshwaterinstitute.org and clicking on the RAS Talk link. Until next time, be well. This RAS Talk episode is sponsored by Innovacy. Innovacy, aquatic solutions built for life. For the latest RAS-related news, visit RASTechmagazine.com. Join us again next time for another engaging conversation on RAS Talk.